Is that is that better? Okay, all right. He comes to the school and preaches to the hearts of our young people. It's always a blessing. All right, let's look in our Bible here. Uh, boy, it is such a temptation to live. Maybe it's not for you, but for me to live in yesteryear. Amen. To live in yesteryear. And I'm telling you, 2014 is not 1970 when I got saved. Boy, there's been a lot of uh, water under the bridge. A lot of things have changed. I want to say something about that just a little bit later on. But we look here at this godly man, this Elijah. Chapter 17, we see a first mention of Elijah. Now, is this some way to give an introduction? It says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Go thence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. That's it. That's the introduction. Didn't say where he went to school. Didn't say where he was born. Didn't say his parents were. He just literally steps out of nowhere onto the scene and confronts the most infamous king that Israel ever had as regarding wickedness. There had never been a king the likes of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. There had never been a queen like her. She wasn't even Jewish. He reached outside the nation to go get her and to bring her in to be, you would think the queen would be the example to all the women in the nation, but she was right the opposite. Let's have a prayer. I want to say something else to you this evening about this man, about the prophet of God. Father, we come before you that we've been blessed already. We've been blessed with the singing, Lord. We've been blessed with the wonderful testimonies thus far this evening. And Father, we pray now would you bless us with your presence. I can't bring a blessing. We are so dependent upon you. And we need to hear from the word of the Lord today. God, speak to us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Israel was facing perilous times. Now the nation had been, had been ripped asunder for a number of years. After Solomon finished, God split the nation apart and ten of the twelve tribes, the north were now called Israel, and all you had in the, in, in the south was, was, uh, was two little tribes that was left. And it seems as though as, this, as the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes, gets their start under Jeroboam, that it was nothing but downhill from that point on. It was just one wicked, sinful ruler after another until it culminated in this man, Ahab. And Ahab was an ungodly fellow. I don't mean just sinful, he was sneaking. His intention wasn't just to come in and eradicate everything to do with Jehovah God. No, his intention was to come in and, and meld it together, weld it together along with every kind of an ungodly religion you can possibly think of. Excuse me, I think of America when I look at where Israel was at at that day. The worship of Jehovah God had been pushed aside and diminished in every kind of, of aberrant, evil, wicked, I mean, 
Don't think I'm exaggerating. And we couldn't even talk in here in mixed company about what they did under the name of religion. And if we're about at the same place, I'm afraid, in America today. And so God sends this prophet, Elijah, onto the scene. Now, I tell you something, I've got a respect for a prophet. I'm not a prophet, okay? I'm talking about these Old Testament prophets. And here comes Elijah, and he is God's man. I don't know, I don't know how God called him. I don't know what the circumstances were. I don't know how God made him. I don't know the, how God made him. But boy, he was a man of God. You see, his name basically means Yahweh is my God. He had a passion for God. He loved his love for the Lord doesn't just say, Well, I love Jesus. This man passionately loved the Lord God. And he loved his people. And he loved his nation. And he hated to see what was going. And so God called him to try to call a nation back to God. And the first major job he's got, God was to confront the king. And he simply goes to Ahab and says this right here it is not going to rain. At my word, the rain will stop. He delivers a very brief message and turns and walks away. He said, preacher, why didn't he give him a track? Wasn't no use to. Well, why didn't he reason? He didn't reason with him. There was no reason. You couldn't reason with this man right here. And, and do you hear me now? There's a certain element of people in our nation you can't reason with. No, you can't talk to them. So, well, what do you do at that time? There's only two things you can do. You can pray and get out of the way. Because the judgment of God was about to befall them just as the judgment of God, I believe, is getting ready to befall America. God will not be left without a witness. And so Elijah steps in the scene and says, King, God is not going to let it rain. And we've got to understand something, friend. You know, we go to the grocery store to get our food. They grew it. And to grow food, you've got to have sunshine and you've got to have water. And they had plenty of sunshine. You to know, whenever it doesn't rain for two weeks, we say, well, the grass is really drying up. When it doesn't rain for two months, we begin to get nervous and say, what are we going to do? And I remember just a few years back, we really hit a drought and a dry spell in this area. And boy, they go into action. They said, well, we're going to have to, we're going to have to sink the pipes a little deeper out in the lake just to take care of ourselves. And, and then one group of the commissioners said, well, we need to buy property in the northern part of the county and build a reservoir just in case things were to really get bad. But I'm telling you, when it doesn't rain for two years, you start to get in panic mode. And they went to three years. And times were really desperate. And then God said one day, it's time to go back. You know, I think about Elijah. I think about this man whose heart burned for revival. You see, to a man like this right here, nothing could thrill him more than to see the people of God hear and heed the word of God and turn back to the Lord. Amen. And God says, it's time to go back. Things have gotten so bad that the king and his, and his you just will say his vice president, Obadiah, were out looking for some grass somewhere to try to save some of the animals. 
It was a horrible time. It was a desperate time. And people didn't know what to do. But you see, God had simply sent judgment and put his finger upon the, the whole problem here because then Baal was the one that's supposed to be able to send all these blessings. And they were dying and perishing. And so here comes Elijah on the scene. The Bible says in verse 17, it came to pass in chapter 18, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Isn't that what we hear today? Well, it's you Christians that's brought the trouble. You Christians would get out of the way and we could prosper. If you Christians would hush, if you Christians would quit worrying about uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the marriage amendment, and if you Christians would quit being so uptight about what is defined and declared to be a marriage in America, and if you Christians would just hush and get out of the way, our nation could be like Europe in a great prosperous land. And so Ahab says, you are the problem, Elijah. And Elijah said, you're the problem. He said, you are the problem. And he said, I haven't troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, and you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed Balaam. He said, let's just do this right here, Mr. Ahab the king. And you see, what could Ahab say? This was the man that said, the water's going to be turned off. And evidently, he's the only one that can say, the rain's going to come back. So he made a little proposition, the old king. He said, I'll tell you something, king. I propose that we go up on Mount Carmel and I propose that you get all your prophets of Baal and all of this kind of stuff and let's go up there and let's just have a little contest. And he said, the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Well, that shouldn't be a big problem because Baal was the fire God. He was the God known by fire. He was the God. It shouldn't be a problem for Baal, the fire God, to drop a little lightning out of the sky if he was really real. See, that's what I'm saying. You couldn't reason with Ahab. You couldn't reason with the people of his ilk. You had to show them. And so uh, he said, okay, it sounds good to me. Let's do that. And you know what's significant about Mount Carmel? Mount Carmel was pretty much the dividing line between Phoenicia and between Israel. I mean, it was the, it was the point right here. The Phoenicians considered it the home of Baal. They considered Mount Carmel the spot of origination, the place where Baal hung out at. So certainly it would be no problem to go to his home area, his hometown, his own stomping grounds, and say, Oh, Mr. Buddy Baal, would you come for a little fire there? Would that be a problem? So they said, We'll do that. Listen, matter of fact, you've got 450 prophets, and it's just me, so why don't you provide the two cows? And they did. And said, matter of fact, since there's so many of you, why don't you go first? And they did. And so that morning they get up on the top of the mountain, and here they, they, the, these, these bell worshippers take their book and lay them on the altar, and off they go. Singing, dancing, and twirling, and hollering, and all this kind of stuff. Well, that went on for about an hour or two. I mean, it's a long service. And I mean, it was the most bizarre service, ungodly service, weird service. And so, you know, after a while, everybody gets tired. So after a while, it says in verse 27, it came to pass at noon. I'm sure Elijah said, well, can't we call a time now and have a little lunch here? But they're still there. And so he kind of, you know, turns the ante up a little bit in verse 27. And it says, he mocked them. Now, you've got to understand, here's a whole, it's like the whole choir is the preacher. They're all, and you understand something, this is, this is 
wicked worship. This is sinful worship. So they're out here, no doubt, doing incantations, and they're twirling around, and they're dancing, and a few of them jumping up and down, and maybe a few of them are screaming out, and somebody's hollering, Oh, bear, oh, bear, would you come on and show yourself? Oh, the sun god, show yourself. And he's not going to show himself because he's not real. And so here comes old Elijah and said, Well, speak a little louder, boys. Maybe he's hard of hearing. Well, you know what? Maybe they're a boy we didn't check with. And maybe he's been on a vacation today and he's not around. You need to holler a little. And when they did that, then these prophets of Baal started just going bananas. And they're beginning to think, Well, now maybe we need to do something to really, really... And I'm just wondering. Now let's just stop a second. I began to think the other day, these prophets of Baal, who were they? Now Jezebel was from the land of the Zidonians. And no doubt she probably brought up you know, a few transplants along with her. But I'm beginning to think that some of those prophets of Baal were backslidden Israelites. I'm beginning to think that some of those very men in their little white outfits and their pointed hats and their capes and everything, I'm wondering if they were a bunch of apostate Israelites. I don't know. Boy, Elijah's letting them have it. And so then they begin to pull their knives out and cut themselves. Well, you know, their God likes blood, doesn't he? And so they begin to cut themselves and cut their arms, and now they put the through their hats off, and now they're, they're per- perspiring profusely, and they're screaming, and they're bleeding. And this was about the most grotesque, if you could call it, worship service that Elijah had ever seen. But you know, they finally just ran out of steam. There was no bell, there was no lightning. I mean, by this time, the old book was probably starting to smell of being dead two or three hours. He's just laying around. Nothing is happening except these guys are really sweating and their voices are all gone. You boys had enough now? Would you please take a seat and sit down? And the Bible says right here in verse 30, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near to me. Let's get a little bit closer. Draw on him. And he said, The people came near and repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. It was broken down. Elijah took 12 stones because he still loved a unified Israel of 12 tribes. According to the number of the tribes. In verse 32, with his stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a ditch. He made a trench around that altar. And he began to say something. He puts the wood down. He puts the bullet on it. He digs the ditch and he says, bring me some water. Pour it in the ditch. And he said, bring me some more water. Wet this thing down really good. And he said, bring me some more water. He didn't want any doubt. He knew what God was going to do. He didn't want anybody to think that he was up there with the slight of hand. He had done something and pulled off some kind of shenanigans. He said, put some more water in there. And then he prayed a prayer. I think just a very short prayer. And he began to say this in verse 36. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel 
that I am thy servant and I've done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord that hast, here's the phrase, that hast turned their heart back again. And the Bible says the fire fell. Not only did the fire fall from heaven, it didn't take him two hours, three hours. He didn't dance. He didn't have to scream. He didn't have to run around. He didn't put on a show. He prayed a very simple prayer of about four or five lines and God sent the fire. Amen. And the fire burned up the sacrifice and the fire burned up the stones. And all that was left was blackened earth. Notice what the people said. What did he say? God let them know you've turned their heart back again. Verse 39, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Elijah wanted revival. Elijah wanted to see a national revival where this nation's heart was turned back to God. Elisha wanted to see a divided nation brought back together. Elijah wanted to see the doors of the temple in Jerusalem thrown open and people flocking around worshiping and serving God. He wanted revival. He goes up on the side of the mountain a little further and begins to pray. And to shorten the story, he finally tells Ahab, you better get heading home because there is a sound of abundance of rain. Ahab heads down the hill. Elijah outruns him. 14 miles he runs. Outruns Ahab's chariot. They get back down to the city. Ahab goes and says, Well, honey, guess what happened today? You lost half your church. Hmm? 400 prophets. God answered by fire. 400 prophets. They're all killed. She was not a bit impressed. She is infuriated. She sends a message back to Elijah and says, within 24 hours, you'll be dead. You'll be dead. And Elijah ran. Ran. Now, boy, there's a number of ways you could look at this right here. You say, was he scared? I don't know that Elijah was scared really of much of anything. But nonetheless, he ran. Hmm? What happened? He had looked for a revival. He had looked for a national turning. Maybe he thought these same people who had fallen to the ground and had shouted out and said, The Lord, He's God. The Lord, He's God. Maybe, they, maybe he thought those people would then rise up and uh, rebel against Jezebel and say, You won't touch Him. You're the one that's going to be kicked out of town. But that didn't happen. That didn't happen. You know, sometimes things happen in our lives and they don't turn out the way we thought they were going to turn out. Mm -mm. Not at all. You know, maybe there's times that you get disappointed and you get confused and you say, you know what, preacher? I have raised all of my children in church, but they're not all with God now. And it breaks your heart. And you tend to say, oh God, what has happened? And usually you tend to look inside and say, what did I do wrong? Where did I miss it? What has happened? 
Or you tried to build a Sunday school class. You tried to build a youth group. You tried to build a, a bus ministry. But people left rather than come. And rather than it grow and blossom, it began to wilt somewhat on the vine. And you, you tend to give up and say, I'm looking inside, what did I do wrong? Maybe nothing. Maybe you didn't do anything. What did the wrong preacher make? I, I, I read the Bible to him. I prayed with him. And it didn't come out right. What did do wrong? Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. I've learned this right here. We are all free moral agents. I think we get this idea in our head that when we say a prayer and ask Jesus to save us, that everything thereafter is just going to work out perfectly. Not necessarily so. That song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. That needs to be a song and a prayer that is, that is prayed and answered every day. Every day. I chose this morning to follow Jesus. By the grace of God, tomorrow morning I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. And next week I'm going to choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I said a while ago, we can't live our lives in yesteryear. I remember... Um, Sometime later after the Lord's Day, something I was about 16 years old, um, I went off to college. I went off to, uh, 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 to another school for my first year, but then I transferred up to Tennessee Temple uh, uh, College uh, in the uh, 1970s. I'd never been anywhere like that before. I mean, this was a whole new world to me. Uh, the Highland Park Baptist Church was like wall-to-wall people. There was people all over the place. They may have a big day. Of course, they had something going on every Sunday just about. They may have a big day and have eight or 9,000 people. They had a fleet of nice church buses. If they had a revival meeting, you'd have to go about an hour early to get a good seat if you wanted a good seat in church. That's what it was like. Highland Park is no longer there today. It's no longer called that. It's no longer in that same location. It's been moved. It's called Church of the Highlands. They may have 300. You say, what happened? The Bible college that I went to was a phenomenal uh, Christian Bible college. Good teachers. A lot of students going there. Today, the property of the campus is being sold. The college is moving. They're relocating. The numbers have fallen off greatly. I'm simply saying, dear friend, there is a day and a time in our land when great city-wide revival meetings would take place and crusades would take place. Many of you remember as a child, maybe you attended one, but you'd turn the television on and they'd be having a Billy Graham crusade. They would fill an, an entire football stadium full of people. I don't know if any of you have ever heard Jack Van Impey. I've heard him preach in person. He used to do city-wide crusade meetings. Phenomenal preacher. When's the last time you heard of a city-wide crusade? I know they just recently had one in Charlotte. Thank God for that, for about three days. But I'm saying we're not seeing that much anymore. Hmm? What's happening? You say, preacher, have the days of revival gone? No, no, I'm not saying that right there. But I do think we need to be realistic. I do think we need to understand something. There have been two great awakenings in America. First, at the birth of this nation under men such as George Whitfield. 
Second, what was was later on in the, in the late 1700s up to about the mid-1800s. But even beyond that, as it gets closer to us, when you look at about the 1950s and the 1960s, it was a great period of revival. And so we'd come out of the, the great world war. And man, I tell you what, people were getting married, they were going to church, and souls were being saved. It was probably some of the greatest days for fundamental Baptist churches in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. The days of great bus ministries, the days of the starting of, of Christian schools, and the days of, of, of church growth explosion. You say, well, what has happened? Well, a lot has happened. A lot has happened. You say, preacher, is there, is there no more revival? Shall we not look at revival? Shall we not? Uh, 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 what's, what are we to say? I'm simply here to say this here today, that you can have revival. You can have personal revival. I may be speaking to somebody right now. And you've worked in the ministry, maybe in a Sunday school, maybe with children, maybe in, with youth. And you said, you know, Pastor, I think I'm just going to let it go for a while. I'm going to let somebody else do this. I, I, I think I need to step back. I, I'm... And what you're really saying is, you know, preacher, my heart's broken because I just don't think that I'm effective any longer. Well, I'll tell you something. Nothing will quite touch you as you get a little bit older and your children start walking away from Jesus. Yes. I mean, it's just like something that stabs you and stays with you. If you ain't careful, you say, you know, preacher, I, I think I just better not really do anything anymore. I just better not probably work on that bus ministry no more. I, I don't guess, I'm not the one you want to try to, to, try to uh, 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 teach that youth class or teach that Sunday school class because preacher, uh, you won't say it to him, but in your heart you're saying, you know what, I feel like an, uh, a failure and I just feel like that I just don't have what I had at one time. I'm going to tell you something, buddy. You need to get your eyes back on Jesus. You need to understand that God can give you revival. God can stir you. God can you. You say, but preacher, come on, just face it. We're not seeing great revival meetings in the community. <laughs> I, don't think I don't think Elijah saw him. I don't think Elijah saw him. Elijah ran and found him a juniper tree. And God sent some helpers to him. God sent an angel to him, shook him. Elijah, what are you doing? Here, you got to get something to eat, Elijah. You never make it in this great journey. And he eats and goes back to sleep. A little later on, that angel wakes him up. Elijah, <laughs> some of you ought to shout. You'd love for an angel to wake you up and tell you to start eating. Said Elijah, you've got to get something to eat, man. You got a long way to go. You're going to have to eat a little bit. And he does, and he makes about a 40-day journey back to Mount Horeb. Do you know what Mount Horeb was? Mount Horeb in the Old Testament is the same as Mount Sinai. That is where God met with Moses. That is where God uh, revealed himself on the side of that mountain and the whole top of the mountain was on the smoke and the people trembled and they feared. God gave them the law. And it's up on that mountain. Elijah, what are you doing here? Amen. Well, God, I want you to know, God, I have been jealous for you. And I want you to know, God, I am the only one left. 
There's nobody else left. I'm the only one left. God said, Elijah, I want to tell you something. I have reserved to myself 7,000 that have not bent the knee to Baal nor kissed his ring. I've got my people. I've got my servants. You are not alone. I'm going to tell you something. If you're living for Jesus, you're serving Jesus, you're not alone. He's not forgot you. Hmm? He's not through with you. I'm simply saying, though, dear friend, we've got to be careful. Maybe I'm preaching myself. I've got to be careful. It is not the 1970s. It is not the 1980s, nor the 1990s. It's gone on further, dear friend. And God is God, and God will have His witness. And listen, it's one thing for a person to get discouraged. It's one thing for a person to get disappointed. I think Elijah was disappointed. He heard those people shout and fall in their face and say, You are God. And I think he felt like saying, Well, where you are? Will someone please stand up? And he felt like, I am all alone. I have been deserted. And, and what has happened? I'm confused. He wasn't the only one. Well, the office of a prophet was a tough job. I think about another prophet, a man who came in the very spirit of an Elijah, and his name was John the Baptist. And I don't think John feared anybody. John looked right up at old head and said, what you are doing is sin. It's not right. And yet John finds himself in prison. And when his disciples come, he says, John, is there anything else we can do for you while you're here in jail? He said, yeah. I need you to go to Jesus and say, are you the one? Or do we look for another? Don't you understand something? John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. John heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son. John witnessed that dove, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove to come down upon Jesus. He saw and he heard and he touched the Son of God. And yet, he came to a point in prison and he said, I need you to go ask him, are you the one or do we look for another? Friend, we're all made out of the same clay. Every single one of us. There are no supermen. They might be one or two thinks they are. And they'll tell you that. There are none. Any man, any woman can get down in their heart. They can get discouraged. They can get confused. I want you to understand something. You may not be seeing a great national revival. You may not be seeing a great city-wide revival. There may even be times you feel like I'm not even seeing a church revival. Go ahead and have one yourself. You can have a personal revival. That's what happened to Elijah. God came by and the wind blew and the rocks ripped and God wasn't in there until a still small voice came by and old Elijah comes out and wraps his face in the mantle because he knew it was the voice of God and God told him individually and personally what to do. He wasn't through with him. He said, I've got work for you to do. It's almost like God said, all right, you feel better now? You've had a little bit of rain. You feel better? Yeah? 
You see, he said, God, let me die. God, just let me die. I've been here long enough. I'm no better than my poor father. Just let me die. God wants you ready for him to die. God never answered that prayer. You ever prayed a prayer God didn't answer? I said, well, yeah, yeah. There might be one or two. You're glad he didn't answer. Elijah says, let me die. God never did let me. He still ain't died. He's caught up in the whirlwind. Caught up a chariot of fire. He never died. God didn't answer that prayer. All right, now, Elijah, you got a job for you to do. You go over here and anoint Elisha. He'd be a prophet in your room. And you're staying. You're going to mentor him. You're going to teach him. You're going to train him. You go and have so-and-so to anoint Jehu. He's going to be the next king. You go over and have one of them to anoint the next king of Syria. He ain't got no work for him to do. James Dobson wrote a book one time entitled it Emotions. Who can trust them? You can't trust your own emotions. Be careful. You say, preacher, you know, preacher's not like it was. I remember preacher when I was 18 years old and man, I was on fire for God. Let me tell you something, friend. I was 18 one time and I was fired up about Jesus. But I'm 60 now. I don't have the body of an 18-year-old. Amen? I don't have the energy of an 18-year-old. But that doesn't mean I'm not excited about Jesus. You need to forget about, oh, preacher, I, I just don't know. I've lost it. You've not lost anything. Have revival. Have revival in your own soul. Go back to the God of this book here and say, Oh, God, speak to me. God, stare me. God, fire me up once again. Lord, I want to die, hallelujah, on the battlefield and get raptured off the battlefield. And I'm going to be faithful. God, I want to be. Give me faithfulness. I want to be faithful to you. I want to love you. I want to serve you. Ask God to restore your heart. Ask God to rekindle the fire in your soul once again. You say, oh, preacher, I tell you, I look at the news, I get so depressed. Don't look at the news. Don't look at it. It's all bad. Go home tonight, you can look at it. It's all bad. And tomorrow it's all bad. They don't report good news. Do they? They don't report good news. It's all bad news. Hmm? You say, well, preacher, it's just, it's what's going on. I want to know what's going on. Well, there's some other things going on. There's some things going on up there. The Bible says in the, in the presence that, that those rejoicing in the presence of the angel every time somebody gets... There's something going on up there. There's something else going up there. There's God in heaven sitting on a throne and he has his finger exactly on the whole situation and he's in control tonight. You see, this is what's happened to some of us Baptists. Now, I'm not trying to be critical. Don't misunderstand me. But we've got too ramped up over moral majority thinking that politics can bring revival. Well, now, if we vote the right person in, and we get the right party in, or we, die, we get this right party, it's, it's going to be revival. Has a politician ever brought revival to this nation? No. And we get all ramped up and we think, well, I'll tell you what's the truth. We got to get out. And I, listen. I believe in voting. You need to vote. God's given us a privilege. We at least have that privilege for a while longer in this nation. And you need to exercise your right. But I'm going to tell you something. And you need to vote right. You need to vote pro-life. Okay? But that isn't going to bring revival to America. 
That isn't going to that isn't going to turn this nation. I'll tell you what's going to turn this nation. It's going to have to. You say that's right, preacher. Preacher and do it. No. What's going to start? It's going to start right here with some people who say they're Christians living a Christian life. It isn't going to do you any good for you to sit in this pew as the preacher preaches or as the choir sings and you're saying, glory to God, glory to God, and then go out on Monday and cuss somebody out. Say, well, they made me mad. You don't have a witness. That's where it's got to start. We've got to get some real Christianity and shoe leather out of the church house out there. It's got to be real. The people where you work at have got to say, what is it about him? He's different. I'd like to have what he's got. I'd like to have it. It's got to be real. And you've got to be passionate. And I just want you to know this afternoon, you can have revival. I don't know of anything stopping you from having a personal revival. Not a thing. And I'll guarantee you this. When you have a personal revival with Almighty God, it can't help but rub off on those around you. It will rub off. You will impact the people that live and work around you and you will impact your church. You say, but you know, preacher, I want it to be like... No. No. God does great things and does greater things. Hmm? Do you really think... Do you really think that God made us in His image to live on this earth, which would be a great thing, and then to die and go to heaven and that be a lesser thing? Mm-mm. No. It's going to be greater over there. Hmm? We're just getting started. You're just revving your motors up. We're just finding out right here in this thing called human life if you really love Jesus. You're a never-dying soul. You're going to live somewhere forever. Ever. And I look around and I'm, I'm not seeing that everybody really loves him. I'm not seeing that everybody's really in love with him. Don't fire for him. I just want you to know you can have a revival. I think Elijah got some revival. I think Elijah went, you say, well, that was it. God was through. No, God wasn't through with him. And God wasn't through with Israel. God's not through with you. If you're his child, you say, but preacher, I don't know, I'm, I'm so wore out. Well, get a little bit of rest. I didn't say in the mountains. There is a rest, Hebrews says, to the people of God. There's a spiritual rest. So preacher, you've not had disappointing things happen to you. Let me tell you. Hmm? We could talk about it some, couldn't we? Said, but you don't understand that there's a hurt. Oh, let me tell you something. I don't know that you'll ever do much of anything great for God if there's not some hurt down there. Hmm? If you can't feel what somebody else feels, could I remind you, our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, He hurt! And He bled! And He cried! And He died! And we're not better than Him. Well, I tell you, if you're going to touch people's hearts, you're going to have to be touched. Absolutely. Amen. Don't be scared of that Amen. right now. Yes. You say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm a little down, I'm a little, I'm a little dry, that's all right, they got dry, but God sent the rain. Amen. Here's a verse for you, and we've got to close. They that what upon the Lord? 
They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Wait, he said, on the Lord. Now you begin to pray. You begin to pray. You begin to seek God. <coughs> Get honest with God. I don't know what's happened. Sometimes it's like, it's like there's kryptonite up here. People don't want to get in the altar. You say, well, I don't have to get up there to get close to God. No, you don't have to. But there's something humbling about coming up here and kneeling down. There's something good for us about getting up here and getting down on our knees and saying, just getting real honest and say, God, God, it's got a little dry down my soul and there's some cobwebs down there. And would you do something for my heart? Would you do something for my life? Would you... God, do something for my eyes that glasses never have. Would you give me a new vision? Would you stir me? God, would you... God, yes, God, maybe I have... Maybe I've stumbled, maybe I've failed a little bit in that class. Maybe with those kids... God, would you give me another chance? God, would you stir my soul up? You know, God, I've been a little bit slack in this thing of praying. God, would you help me? He will. He will. Let's bow our heads for prayer.